Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known here on WIR as DJ Lilas. I'm here today with Kanisha Foster to talk about Attack the Block. What is that, cuz? That's an alien, bruv. Believe it. And I landed in the wrong place, though. You get the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I can't wait to talk movies. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this movie because I, I learned a lot. And it's it's kind of underrated. This movie is really underrated. But first, if you don't know Kanisha Foster, she's amazing. She's a writer, director, and actress based in L.A. She directs plays for the stage, including The Bluest Eye, Four Colored Girls, and Sancho. She's an actor who once portrayed 26 characters in a single play with different accents. Um she was a featured storyteller in NPR's The Dinner Party, along with Lena Waithe, and was named one of 18 Black women we think are phenomenal by Modern Maya magazine. Her film acting debut, debut Chicago Boricua, was an official selection of the Tribeca Film Festival. Kanisha, why'd you pick this film? Uh, oh, well, I'm obsessed with this movie. I love it so much. When I first saw it, I was like, that's the movie I am trying to write. Um, and I think it's because for me, I mean, like, I care about like black and brown kids and like what they're up to and lower income kids and, um, and then having stories about their humanity. But also I like stories that have a sense of humor and that have a pace and that have this, um, this otherworldly element, which it literally does. But actually my buddy, Dre, Andre Royo, he, he played Bubbles on the Wire he he was like you gotta watch this movie this movie's so good <laughs> he gave it to us and uh and i like immediately i was like i'm in a deep kind of love with this movie <laughs> yeah everybody who's watched it loves it the thing is why i just wondering like why it didn't get more airtime in the u.s um it's so yeah. it's a very british film but it, it's you know, I read in one of the trivia pieces, some guy, some producers, like, you should change the name to Space Bear so more Americans will go see it. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. John Boyega, beautiful in it. I mean, that's the first time I saw John Boyega before he hit Star Wars and started just being adorable, doing all of those movies with his glee and excitement and wonder. Um, what is like, what is truly a sweetheart, like when you see his work in interviews. Um but I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's so good. I think it's so, um, even though it's like so British, I think it's so American too, in a way. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't relate to it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's got a real sense of humor. It's got puppets. Yeah. <laughs> that are like really dope. Yeah. <laughs> it's got real, it's got real creatures. But yeah, Baby Boyega really 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 brings it home and it's funny to see like i wonder if because of this movie he was put on the sci-fi path this is kind of his breakout role but let me tell you if you haven't seen this movie we are going to spoil it Mm -hmm. you know the the focus of this discussion is on craft as well as content so studies have shown that light spoilage actually can increase your enjoyment of the contents i'm pissing myself in it but at the same time this is sick This movie was released in 2011. Attack the Block is a sci-fi thriller described by director and writer Joe Cornish as Lahane meets Alien. It stars young John Boyega (laughs) as Moses, the 15-year-old leader of a teen gang of five South London inner-city teens whose mugging of a seemingly well-off woman played by Jodie Whittaker gets interrupted by 
That's right, an alien invasion. Moses and the gang must arm themselves and protect their block or get eaten. Everyone run! We need to get off the streets. Back in a block. What kind of alien would invade some council estate in South London? One that's looking for a fight. <laughs> it's really fun it's really fun and what you meant yeah what you mentioned was the pace you said something about pacing yeah it's like it's 89 minutes first of all i really appreciate that yeah Mm -hmm. like you can feel that in the movie like it's tight and character intros are like because it's an ensemble movie so you get you get Mm -hmm. this group of kids you get a second group of kids which are the girls you get a third group of kids which are these younger kids you get these like higher up dudes and they're able to give everybody a backstory. They just kind of slash through it. The storytelling is unbelievable. (laughs) Like when they each go home and you see like they go home to grab a weapon to fight the aliens. And first of all, you see that these kids like live in a space where they have to know what weapons they have at the ready, whether they're makeshift weapons or real weapons. Yeah. And then, but then you also get a slice of who they really are, like their grandma, their mama who's looking out for them. You know, nobody's home. You just really get a sense, like, that they're fully human people, <laughs> which we mm-hmm. is, is unfortunately too rare for us as mm-hmm. uh, people of color, specifically Black folks. Uh, the kids are of different nationalities and races, but um, I just love it. It's so good. Especially as, you know, for people who write, working on exposition is really tough, and the exposition is done so well. In an interview I read, he said he really liked how in John Carpenter's attack on Precinct 13, you're just kind of like in the action and you don't get a lot of introductions to the characters. But in an interview with one of the actors, the kid Alex Esmail, who plays Pest, who I love, like I, I you have to watch the movie with subtitles almost because of his like <laughs> the amount of British slang. I love the, I just kept saying bruv. I bruv. Like yeah, I said, I bruv. but like he said in an interview at first you hate us because your first introduction to the characters is they're mugging this woman then you come to love them because they're the heroes and i think that's really important because yeah you first of all you never see teens as the Mm -hmm. leaders of a Mm -hmm. movie and you never see we we don't really have people of color leading any sci-fi movies that i can think of i was really sitting there thinking like what's what's the last sci-fi movie i've seen and it was like oh well he was in star wars but he's he wouldn't they really didn't feature him that much. It's like, it's just rare. So yeah, it's very much, it's very refreshing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we will see diversity in sci-fi, but it's true. Like, are we really handing them the head of the, like the, the leads and letting them fly? Except for, um, of course, uh, my boy Jordan Peele is doing it, doing it and doing it well. <laughs> yes. Uh, did, did you like Nope? I have much to think about and say about Nope. Okay, I love the twist very much. But yeah, I know you're right. It's like it's all on Jordan Peele to carry the sci-fi franchise. But you're right. You know, he is. Um, I mean, he was really but, able to like slide in with comedy, which he's so amazing at. He's such an amazing storyteller. One of my favorites for sure. And then he had these other stories he wanted to tell and he had them ready and, and he had you know, risen to such a high degree. Thank goodness he just keeps telling and producing and supporting um, other storytellers, which is really the next level thing about Jordan Peele. Um, but back to our, our boys on the block. <laughs> um, 
uh, I forget what you were talking about. I was going to say something about it. Uh, but... Representation in sci-fi. Oh, yes, yes. Representation. Yeah, like for me, the hero part of it is what moves me so deeply about it. Even though it's such a funny and crazy movie. It's like when people say, somebody did tell me recently, um, someone who, whom I adore was telling me that like some people didn't like the movie because you could they couldn't get over the first moment of these the boys robbing her. And I was like, well, that wasn't a black person who said that <laughs> because, because the whole point is they are children. And from the moment we see them doing this very grown up act, we can't see them as kids. And then we find out immediately that they are. And then we find out immediately with all these like little beautiful ways they tell stories. Like one of the kids has to put his glasses on. Um, there's a gun, but it's actually mm-hmm. a toy gun. Mm-hmm. They're looking out mm-hmm. for the little, little babies. And then my, I told you my, mm-hmm. fra- my favorite team, maybe in anything ever. Mm-hmm. is when um, the nurse who they eventually you know, partner with and mm-hmm. start to fight the aliens with is has to go through Moses, which is on Boyega's character's apartment. And she sees the bed with like Spider-Man sheets and she says mm-hmm. to him, like, oh, you have a little brother? And he says, no. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like everything. You know, yeah. and, and you're watching this kid, you're watching the voices in his head of, like even with the girl he likes and everyone's telling him how he's a failure all the time and they think it's all his fault, even though he doesn't know that he's literally covered in these pheromones and that's why they're chasing him. Mm-hmm. But they're like, it must be you. You must attract the danger as opposed to the structures create the danger for you. And yeah. you're trying to be a hero oh. within it. And to me, that's like, wow, that's such good storytelling. And in that moment you get everything. And then the last moment, I'm really going to spoil it. So if you yeah, really go, go spoil it. Moment, like, lead you to moment, it throughout the film. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like we've watched this young man, this kid, save everybody while running for the police, while um, being attacked by the dude who wants him running the block for him, while doing everything. Little to no, all the emotions in his eyes. That's why John Boyega is so good in this role. You can see a little boy behind this exterior of someone playing a man and they arrest him anyway. And everyone's like shouting that he's a hero and he's just saved them from these aliens. And he's in the back of this police car, which is like for so many of us, the inevitable. And then you just hear the whole, like the whole neighborhood, like chanting his name, Moses, Moses. To me, it's like, so beautiful. It makes me cry. I actually like cried several times rewatching it. <laughs> I was like, this is so beautiful. These boys are everything. And these girls too. I think the girls are fully fledged people yeah. too. The girls are good. No, mm-hmm. but like this movie, I, all right, Joe Cornish, full disclosure, is a white man. So like there, yeah, there's sorry. that. And like I definitely looked, there's like tension there, right? In the research of like, okay, but you know, he really spent a lot of time like just talking to kids and youth groups and literally taking lines from what they say. So it feels very real. Like um, when they have like the first character and like he sh- the, the alien, he shows it to one of the girls. She's like, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to get chlamydia. And like <laughs> that line was like really something a girl said when he's interviewing people. So it like felt real in that way. But yeah, yeah. like it's beautiful in the depiction of the people who are like the most underrepresented. First of all, yeah. you like giving the youths youths, a chance to be characters too right like this yeah. is a 15 year old and, and like the movies that i think of that are like about 15 year olds i don't know it's like it's hard to think of how many of them there are that gives them the the permission to be like you said full characters with 
they're not morally black or white. Nobody is. Yeah. And yeah, John Boyega, yeah. his face is what carries the whole movie, right? Yeah. He's, he, 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 like the whole, there's that scene where one of the, one, one character dies and he turns around and he's like holding it together, but has a single tear. Mm. Yes. And I have to say like the, 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 it's a multicultural cast. Like it, it is a, I, I can be pretty hardcore about who's telling whose story. Like, uh, just look at any of my interviews anywhere ever. <laughs> but, um, and I think that's important. I, I do think he does a really stellar job here. I think it's a special movie. And I think you can see, you can guess, like, maybe parts of himself in some of these little boys, too. Like, I don't know. They're just so specific. And, again, it's like a multicultural group of boys who are just all Londoners, though. Uh, just kind of hitting this area together and even the the characters the the white characters which is the nurse and then this like guy who comes to play to buy weed oh, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce is actually based on joe cornish when he was like in his uh, yeah, 20s. that's yeah. like i was like oh that makes so much sense no, like Bruce is like the typical <laughs> white stoner college kid right and, and he's he, says popo. he calls him the popo i was like <laughs> this is too perfect this guy <laughs> Like a sense of humor about yourself while you tell yeah. the movie feels like there's an honesty in that. I don't know. To me, there does. It feels like there is. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's really all right. It's perfectly paced. Like within the first three minutes, the aliens have already attacked, and like the movie's happening, which is really mm-hmm. important. Um, it's perfectly paced. You said it's an ensemble cast. Somehow we fully flesh out like twelve to fifteen characters. Absolutely. Um, really good themes. Joe Cornish really talked about like wanting how sci-fi should be about the present as much as it should be about the aliens. And I think he does a really good job of using the genre to talk about yes. like he says the themes. It's really hard for me to like think about this when I'm writing. Right. It's like you want to write the thing and you want to be obvious what it's about, but you don't want to be too cliche. You don't want to hit on the head. There's like lines where they're like, we're the heroes. Right. And so it's like they're talking about that theme. Right. Who is a hero? And then there's a line where it's like you guys are always arresting the wrong person. Like that's right. Saying- theme out and they say it but it works so well in the yeah when you rewatch it they slide it in everywhere but mm-hmm. it never feels ha- heavy-handed there's all these like they say the word hero i don't know how many times it'd be interesting to count it like you he's just like please look at these kids like please yeah. see them as human beings and then but he's also like and they're dirty and they're hilarious like you know their sense of humor i mean it's dirty like they're just like they're just kids you know they're just like teenagers well, they feel like real up. boys and now yeah. and i think another thing is like in the first scene they cover their faces so they're dehumanized to us because you're identifying with the white woman and like yeah. they don't have identities and then they pull their mask down and like you said i think jerome puts on his glasses and suddenly like is real yeah um and then like the kid like rest in peace pogo and like somebody has to get their mm. dog somebody has to talk to their grandma and like yeah and like yeah then they suddenly become yeah. they go to buy weed like yeah <laughs> they don't really go by but yeah i guess coming back to pacing you know talk about as a writer and thinking about the script uh how do you make sure to pace a film right and like why is it so important in the first few minutes like how yeah. have you started off some of your pieces and how do you get people pulled into a story quickly Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, I always say, both as a writer and a director, I'm always like the first 30 seconds to a minute tells your audience what relationship they get to have with the work. So if it's going to be funny, if it's going to be aliens, if it's like basically in those that little bit of time, you let them know. You can laugh. You can be bold. You can be scared. You can have fun. Um, 
And so I think it's really important, and especially in film, I work in film and theater uh, and video games. But in in film, you can really like expand visual settings. You can tell us exactly what you want us to look at. And in that first moment, it's like the aliens falling and coming down against the fireworks going up in the air. It's like, it's like, we're coming to the block, you know, <laughs> like you're coming to the block, I'm going to the block and everything's going to explode. Uh, and then you see the girl and then you see the kids. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it's very, very important. It, it it allows, I think it's most important actually when you want someone to be allowed to laugh because yeah. people look for laughing cues right away. Yeah. And there's not, I don't know, there's not laughing cues until they start shouting their hilarious slang and like getting really pumped up, right, about killing the alien. Maybe there is a laugh <laughs> faster yeah. than that. Maybe uh, there is. I mean, there's definitely a fish out of water right away. Because mm-hmm. you get her in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you're like, she lives in that neighborhood? And they like make that a joke kind of along the way. Like, mm-hmm. wait, you live here? Like, even the white boy's like, you live here, girl? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was, like, she does dress a little too nice. Another line that's so funny that stands out to me as an American is when he's going through her purse. And he's like, oh, she's a nurse. They don't make any money. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Do they not make money? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I actually like, it's so funny to me. Like, it's so weird. We have a different life. Um, like yeah. people, I mean, a nurse is a fairly good paying job here. It's like a medium good paying job, right? Like you be a nurse, you know, you're going to be employed and be paid somewhat well in America. But I love that. Yeah, yeah, like she's a nurse. She's I mean, my this- dad, my dad was a nurse and he left nursing to work at McDonald's because it paid more. So never mind. <laughs> it's not so a great maybe, paying job everywhere. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you're going- appreciate that. There's different levels wow. of nursing. So like now a lot of people get their PhD in nursing and it's a whole different thing, but, um, that's a good point. Yeah, it can be, they're definitely underappreciated. I mean, they're not making what the doctors make and they're spending most of their time with the patients. Really they're lifesavers. They're heroes to me. They, well, Oh, that's another, that's another layer, right? Uh, (laughs) like she's a, she would be portrayed as like typical hero for being a nurse and these kids you might never see as heroes, but they protect her. It's great. Um, but, you know, you've directed multiple plays for the stage and something that just came out. And some of them, they're, you're adapting plays that are, like, pretty well known. And how do you start them to show the flavor of this direction? Like, um, how- I guess it depends on the play. But, yeah, if it's a comedy, I definitely put a joke at the top. Like, a physical joke or, like, I'll do something. Like, we just did... Um, we just did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which maybe you don't call a comedy. <laughs> but, uh, I don't direct like slow, sad, dirty type things. So mm. like, uh, so I I need to let people know that what I'm going to make is going to be bright and alive. So usually, like for instance, for that show, the first thing we do is we have her come on in this beautiful dress and she looks gorgeous. And then we have her belly flop onto the sofa. Mm. <laughs> and like, we also have her enter to this like upbeat, joyful song, even mm-hmm. though we're about to see some hard stuff because if we mm-hmm. start, and the sound designers and I had a long talk about that because they were like, this song fits perfect. It's about drinking all day and that's what the main character is doing. And I was like, yeah, but if we start low, we have nowhere to go. If you start in this like bubbly place of possibility and then you just like break these people every two minutes or less, which is really how it is in Cat, then all of a sudden we've taken an emotional journey. So I think also you got to figure out 
how do I tell them what it's about, but how do I give them somewhere to go? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And like you can use physical humor to to tell the audience that there are going to be laughs that punctuate this. Also, and I think about this a lot with horror, you have to have laughs in the middle of something tense. I mean, almost always like a two hour tent. Like, and that's why what I've noticed is like in horror movies, something that isn't even funny will often get a huge laugh just because like we need the, the release. Yeah. And the fact that I think the Brits are just really good at that. The Brits like put wry humor into everything. So like there's just natural humor flowing through this. Like um, yeah. the guy from Hot Fuzz, the actor. Um, yes, of course. So What's funny. his name? Nick Frost. Yeah. Nick Frost yeah, Nick is in Frost. this movie. Yeah, he's in Nick Frost is for, so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's in this movie for maybe like four minutes of screen time. But oh, that wait, scene like, where he like opens the door and he's like, is it safe? And she's yeah. like, no. He's like, all right, good luck. And just closes the door. <laughs> so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Once I learn, yes. I, I, once I learned that the the um the filmmaker Joe Cornish, that Joe Cornish like had a sketch comedy thing before this, which I've just found out like yesterday. Um, so it made sense, like the sense of humor, the sense of comedy, the sense of constant play. Like to me, that's what human beings are. And I really, it's hard for me to watch anything that does not have a sense of humor about itself like that just takes itself so seriously, even if it's a drama, because I just think we as humans tend to take care of other humans. And so even if we're telling like our worst, like memory, we tend to like throw some laughs in there because we can see the other person hurting for us. And we start to like take care of them. And also like, even when I'm directing, it's like, we might have an idea of what the emotion of the scene is. It might seem like a sad scene, but we lay our emotions on top of each other and the much more human and interesting choice is that all of those things are happening at the same time or we're having a tesseract which in chicago we call tesseracts um like in stage anyway we call it when you go from one emotion to the next immediately like there's no prep there's no slow burn you're just laughing and then you're crying or you're crying and then you're laughing um and it's like i think that's actually what happens we're actually feeling a million things at once and uh, and when we see someone just kind of carefully playing one emotion after another, I think something in us calls bullshit. You know, we're like, that's not really what it's like. Life is messier than that. And you can, I mean, especially when you're directing a play like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, you can deliver lines that might be seen as very, very, very serious as hilarious depending on what makes sense for them in the moment, right? Like things can be funny that might not seem funny. Um, And we also can laugh and want to laugh at things that are really dark. That's, that's humans. Like, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I really love, Oh, I I, I forgot. The thing I wanted to start off this whole thing with was having listened to, having listened to your piece dancing (laughs) outside myself. This is totally, I was just looking at my notes. What do you think of Beyonce's newest album? Oh my God. Do you like Renaissance? Do you love it? Do you love Renaissance? Um, thank you for asking me this question. For those of you who don't know, I started this thing called the Beyonce Joy Project where I learned every yeah. Beyonce dance that ever existed. And I was going to do it alone. And I hired someone to teach me. Then I was like, does anybody want to come? And then like hundreds and hundreds of people ended up doing it with me. And it was so fun. And I think we should do it again. So let me know if you want to come. <laughs> um I think it's cool. It's a groove. It's a groove for sure. Like it's like, it's really like, uh, got that club feel. Like it's a whole new side of her, which is why I love that she, she'll just be like, she'll just be like, you know who I am today. 
bam. <laughs> but what I got to say, lemonade for me is like transformative. That one has like yeah. all the layers for me of like the multiplicity of being a woman, of being a, a mother, a wife, a sexual being, a, a fucking badass queen of their genre and their work. Like that speaks to me. <laughs> I re- and when I listened to that, like I remember when it came out and how it like it was like a thing where like everyone had to watch it before they could go outside and talk to anyone else. <laughs> I remember like feeling like like it was like bigger than the Super Bowl. I feel like it was like such a big deal. And I I don't know. I really love Renaissance. I thought like the transitions. I, I mean, maybe it's just because like I love electronic uh, and dancing. Oh yeah, just, I just it goes for that. I was thinking about you when I listened to that piece about like my experience. Like there's just something about like reveling in the quality of Beyonce's art. Um, yeah. So yeah. I love and that I'm you a did convert. That. I'm a convert because mm. I am like a I'm stubborn, and like I I don't like to kind of like jump on. I, I neither want to like just poo poo popular culture for the sake of it because that's annoying too. But but like I don't love stuff just because everybody loves stuff. That's not really my thing. Like I I if I do respond to it, I will shout from the high heavens. But I'm not just gonna be like yeah me too. Um, but that album, man, I was like what why did you write this for me Beyonce that was so considerate I thank you sometimes (laughs) things are popular because they actually are the best thing and that's it's just you just can't deny it speaking of loving stuff we hope that you are loving this podcast this is called Mm -hmm. they came from outer space it's a podcast and radio show uh I'm Cameron Kitt I'm here with Kanisha Foster talking about attack the block from 2011 yay Big gorilla alien wolf monsters killing everyone. Mm-mm. Don't need to do anything on these ends. Please. That looks triple the size. Right now, I feel like going home, locking my door, and playing FIFA. What were those things? Thinking probably aliens. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. It doesn't pass the Bechdel test. It like almost does. It almost does. It's, but that's okay. Like it's, I'm f- f- far and away forgiven. I want to talk about the budget. Okay. I don't know about the budget, but tell me. This I is important know. to me. I'm always I'm always scoping the budget. So, you know, this Very is his first. He, he wrote and directed it. He got film for uh, funding. He actually was working with St- Big Talk, which is the same studio or the same production company that produced Hot Fuzz. So, like, you can kind of feel oh. like the Edgar Wright stuff in there, right? Like, I know yeah, they like. I love. I love Edgar. Wright. Yeah, like he worked with a studio that like we make genre films, and he did it for 13 million. So, like, okay, that's like nothing right mm-hmm. for a movie mm-hmm. with aliens yeah like for comparison interstellar cost 165 million to make so it's like <laughs> 12 times as much money oh now, it, but it didn't make them it didn't it didn't make all its money back so like people would consider it like a box office flop but it's an 89 oh, minute movie gosh so, yeah i mean it's not like that's what matters the most but i guess just like speak on like how to make how to use constraints. I mean, he talked about how he had to cut 10 pages of the script because of the budget. Right. Like how have you used budget or have you, have, how have you had to like orient or change a project based on budget constraints and what did you do? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm from Chicago, so we just like, the joke in Chicago is if two theater people go to a bar together, they come out with a theater company. <laughs> and so like, we just, we are we were just we were actually trained to make things with nothing and then when we get things we're like what we're like you're giving me money to make stuff i mean we really need to be less midwestern about it even though i do love being midwestern um there's this feeling that like that we're supposed to make these these big beautiful things and not tell anybody because we should be so humble about it (laughs) but um i i don't know 
I, I think it's it's true. I've definitely had to budget for something and just like location cut first. It's like you start with the biggest dream of the writing and you you write first and then you go, okay, can these three scenes all happen in one moment? Does this scene need to be 10 pages? Probably not, you know? And any theater artist that goes to TV and film has to learn to start cutting pages because we'll write eight to 10 pages for a scene that could be half a page in film. And I find that really exciting because it's like, how do I tell this story in four pieces of dialogue? And then like, and I lately I've been helping uh, folks to develop a lot of new work. And I keep saying like two things, which is uh, let's cut the lace. Now, I don't like to say cut the fat because that, that like assumes that the writing is not beautiful and then you won't cut beautiful things. But like you got to cut, sometimes you dress something and it's just like so gorgeous, but all you can see is the lace. You can't get, you can't see the shape of it. So you got to trim it back and trim it back and trim it back until, oh, there's the heat of the scene, like right in the center of it. That's the part we need. And we need to be writing towards that. And maybe it takes three lines of dialogue to get there. Maybe it takes a page. But if we can't see it, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is, you know? And then the other thing I say is like, we have to try to, um, make sure the audience isn't doing math in their heads. So if they're watching what you're watching, but they have to like stop and think and you lose them for 30 seconds, you, you can lose them at a really pivotal moment. So I think you can condense that way and you can just think, you can just think uh, playfully in terms of like how you put things on top of each other. Uh, that's a really beautiful really beautiful way to say that I love not saying cut the fat because that phrase is such a terrorizing phrase for writers too it's just like yeah it's like a hurtful phrase because also it feels violent so like cut the fat it's like a violent sound to me so cut the lace is like okay and yeah it's like implying that what I've written is nice cut off that's it's just so hard it's just so hard to cut things so like when I read that I was like oh I really felt for him right like and I'm producing a film right now and the where it's shooting in two weeks and the director just cut two and a half pages and uh and that's big, in order to cut down the shooting days and like it sucks because like I love that she did it I'm proud of her but like I'm still hurting because like I know the pages she cut and I was like oh man but it was what you have to do right like it's yeah, like the audience did. the audience is never going to know all the awesome stuff that you wrote that got cut um but and that can go to. somewhere else everything you yeah. write exists that's the thing. It's like I, when I first started writing, I used to think I had to tell my whole life story in, in that story because I was like, maybe this is mm. the only time I will ever tell a story. But you can mm. tell a story every single day of your life. Like you can take a brilliant scene and put it aside, just cut it out and put it in a different document. And it might become something completely different. I mean, I think in grad school, I wrote a spec of um, uh, Masters of Sex and mm -hmm. And like, I loved the scenes I wrote for it. And I was like, I don't want this to go nowhere. <laughs> you know, so I just like took some scenes out and put them in something else that were dialogue that I liked that I thought had some possibility to live in a different way. Um, and also, I think we should remember like, great films can, can happen in 30 seconds. They actually can. Like we can tell great, great things in a short way. TikTok shows you that. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Like there's I filmmakers think I, on TikTok like telling, like showing, like writing films and making films, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting time that people can just be telling story whenever they're excited about it. I mean, mm -hmm. 
I think like when I was coming up and dreaming of being in the industry, there was a real, like a real intense gatekeeping to just equipment, like forget about yeah. everything else to just like yeah. getting a hold of equipment. And now it's like, you can make something every weekend. You can make yeah. something every day. And there's something great about, I was just thinking about a project that my friend is pitching that I can't tell you what it is, but I was thinking about it today. And I was like, why are we not shooting that? Like she's working on selling it. And I hope she does. But I was like, why are we not? It's so, it's so, it would be so easy to just shoot it because of format. Um, and sometimes it's worth it just to get out there and make something until something yeah. rises. I mean, that's coming back to the kids, like putting media in the hands of the youth. I think it's really, I think it's exciting because I think, like you said, it's amazing. I was, it was the same. I didn't have access to a really nice camera or sound equipment. And now this, all you need is your phone. And so like, there are more and more kids who are getting into the idea of storytelling and have the access to it, which is nothing but good for us, I think. Yeah. Right? That's good for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and I were talking before we got on that my daughter's at NYU for TV and film. Shout out to both of my daughters, the eldest one and the little one, Lenny and Junie. Um, but, but Lenny, like she blew me away during the pandemic because she was, she really fell in love with film during the pandemic. She was a writer always and a musician. She plays bass uh, in a couple rock bands. But like when she started just like making movies when we couldn't leave the house <laughs> and then like shooting really beautiful things on her phone and learning to edit and learning to edit sound and yeah, it blew me away. I was like, right, we can do anything. Like we really can be out here making work even when the whole world is shut down. That's great. Sounds like she found a really healthy way to deal with the isolation. Yes, very proud of her. She had um she had has a chronic illness that we've since figured out kind of how to cope with it day by day, but she actually like had to go into isolation before isolation. So she really figured out she was hospitalized for a few years on and off while we tried to figure it out. So once it got to the pandemic, she was like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So that's to see good, her. right? That's yeah, very very exciting to see her back in the world again, making big things. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of like, oh, I just want to shoot this project. Joe Cornish said, I really love when a director's first film is too ambitious. It was like he mentioned that he's like John James Cameron's first big film was Terminator. Was a, his actual first film was Piranha Two. I didn't know that. And like, <laughs> you know, like ET or any of these films. It's not. It wasn't their first one, but like their first genre film. It's like they were trying to do too much, and you can kind of feel it. And then that forces you to ma manage it. And he, it's like you. Obviously, he's talking about himself. He, this is a very ambitious yeah. film. Um, but he just went for it and did it anyway. So like, yeah. speak about that. About just like doing something that's quote too ambitious. I was just talking to my students about this. Um, I teach in like a generating independent theater class at Occidental here in LA. And I was saying, cause people were, we were all talking about how Fleabag is like perfect television, especially season two. And we were, and everyone is like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge just came out of nowhere and she's so brilliant. But like you follow her career, she's had a career. She's done drafts and drafts and drafts and drafts of things. And Crashing was actually, I think, her first TV show or one of her early TV shows that she wrote. And Crashing is a great show. And there are like elements of what will become Fleabag in it. But Fleabag takes all of that and just like explodes it out of the water. And of course, Fleabag itself started from her solo show. So she like brought this work to the stage, got really embedded in story and specificity, did a great first season of television. 
And then really was like, what is the medium of television? How can I use the medium of television to tell a story as opposed to ignoring the medium and telling a story? And then just like, you know, breaks all of our hearts. Um, it's like sexy and funny and beautiful and great TV making. And by the way, since we're on a podcast together as women in film, I think we need a new word that's not auteur, which is like so aligned with masculinity and ego to talk about what women and uh, non-binary and gender expansive folks are doing in TV and film. Like, I feel like we need a word that is about this beautiful thing of like accessing the specificity of who you are to tell like a boundless story. And it's happening. It doesn't have to be French. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Should be. Yeah. We'll make an American. Why not? Yeah. You're so right. Like maker and maker and creator. I mean, I am obsessed with telling people I'm like Agnes Farda truly started the movement. Nobody yeah. wants to talk about bah, that. Bah, bah, like, bah, yeah, like it's like yes. it's like my high horse. I'm like, oh, you want to talk about you uh, know visions? Um, for me, it's Alice Guy. I'm like, you want to talk about Alice? Yeah, Guy Alice Guy Blanche. We'll talk I about Alice. Yeah, I'm gonna teach a class tomorrow where I'm like, we're gonna watch some. Uh, yeah, like let's talk about that. But yeah, you're right. We need a new word for that. And from yeah, yeah. like the way that she used. You're right it's so hard for your second album to be good, right? Like for, for a lot of bands, your first album is all the songs you've been writing on the road. Yeah. So they're like all perfect. And it's like everything you've been working on. And then the studio or your label is like, all right, write a new, write a new album. You have seven months. And so a lot of bands that second album is not as good. Right. So like, that's yeah. why it's even more impressive that the second season is just as good. It's totally different. It's still really yeah. funny and irreverent. And then there's like the stuff with the foxes. Um, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, okay, that's beautiful advice um, and also good point. So if you have a new idea for that word, um, you can find Kanisha's email on her yes. website. I legitimately... Go ahead. I legitimately want you to answer this question. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you send, send inquiries and like come up with the word. Maybe we just need to make a new word. Like haagen isn't really German. It's just like yeah. fake German sounding word. Maybe we just yeah. need something like that, yeah. you know? like has the idea has the sound of a european word yeah. but it's actually just something we make up we should be called fire starters or something fire starting yeah <laughs> well, <I like> that. <laughs> actually since ever since ruby wade there's just been a lot of burning and fire in my mind anyway oh my um, gosh i'm directing roe right now about about the case i'm in the middle oh, of that play how are you handling that how do you manage that um we're just really i have an incredible ensemble i've actually been asked to be a guest artist at occidental this semester and with students and we're working really as an ensemble and we're in active conversation with each other and the piece and the history and the present and the future. I mean, the piece was written in 2016 and it feels like we need a whole new draft every day. We just can't believe it. And the playwright has been great about um, interacting with us and talking to us about it. And um, that's been exciting, but it's wild. It's emotional. (laughs) It's It's an emotional thing to be working on right now, for sure. And you have to be careful. I mean, you're dealing with emotional subjects. So coming back to this movie, okay. it does it does deal with emotional subjects, right? It dances around, in my mind, police killings of young youth of color, right? It never, it doesn't show it as much, but like the way that they're relegated to what, what we call Section 8 housing, and they called it something else, like government housing, right? This like, mm-hmm. the government housing, and that they're very proud of the block, but... Yeah, I guess like talking about like managing the theme, the way that I feel like the theme is palatable is because there's these big monsters running around, right? So like then that kind of balances it out. It's almost like 
palatable. It, it allows us to talk about it in a way that they're on the run. There's action. I don't know. Speak to that, I guess. Like, where do the, um, what, how do the, do the monsters help this story? Like, do the aliens Yeah, help I mean, uh, that's the beauty of storytelling. It always, whether it be comedy helping us hear heartbreak or sci-fi mm-hmm. helping us look at reality, like, uh, I, I don't even know when he's word palatable because for so for so many of us this is just living. It's really <laughs> but like, point. but um, it's actually unfortunate that some it takes a lot of people something kind of magical or mysterious to access what a lot of people have to access every day. Um, and you know it's it's close for me. These types of stories are very close for me, um, and very real to me. Uh, but I think, I mean, I really think you can't half tell a story of trauma. And there's like a lot of talk. Um, there's like a lot of talk about triggers and and what it means to, to tell stories that have violence in them and how do we tell them and do we tell them and um, the importance of telling stories that are fundamentally about Black joy and not about Black trauma, which I agree with deeply. I mean, my show is called Joy Rebel. Um, but I do think that there is this thing, like this thing that happens for me when I go and see a piece of art. I, like, I think that art is about alleviating shame. So I think you go see a piece of art and you have this little secret. It could be a little secret or a big secret or something you carry with. And then you see someone has like, let's say it's a movie. You see, they've made a movie about it. So somebody wrote it down. Somebody bought it. Somebody put a budget behind it, maybe 13 million. Uh, like everybody came together, made the movie. People in the audience are like reacting to the thing that is your biggest secret or that hurts your heart the most that you've been carrying around your whole life. And you can see people's shoulders relax. You can see their ribs expand. You can see people. And what happens in theater, if you're on stage, you can see it happen as you're performing it. And to me, like, that's why we make art. We make art so that people are like, I'm not alone. And I understand myself better now. And maybe the person next to me understands me better. Um, and so that's what I think. That's what I think it does. It's like, here's this very real thing that happens. Some of us are going to get it right away. And some of us need this like big magical thing. And also some of us maybe don't need the big magical thing, but we're fucking exhausted. <laughs> and like maybe if you give us something funny and wonderful and lighthearted, it'll help us in the healing part of it. So I don't think it's just about teaching yeah. others. I think it's actually about like, I needed to see that. Like I yeah. really needed to see, like I really needed to see m- people acknowledge that Moses is a child. Yeah. I needed to see that because I think of my own experience as a child. I think of people I loved who've had experiences as ch- children who have been treated as adults when too much is happening around them who actually needed some nurturing mm-hmm. and like to have it in that format that's exciting and adrenaline rushing and, like aliens with glowing teeth is like the best. You know, like, it's so yeah. <laughs> It's like a way well it I think in this case it like ups the ante of all that's on his shoulders as the patriarch of a group, even though you find out that he's fifteen and she says you look older, right? Which is a really telling mm-hmm. statement. Like you look older yeah. because he has to carry everything. So yeah. he acts older. And then you find out that he has a Spider-Man. It's not even sheets. It's just a sleeping bag, like a Spider-Man yeah, sleeping bag. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And like, I, yeah. I also think the nurse character is written really well. Can I just say, because 
again, you could have like a dichotomy where you make this like a, a black versus white story and it doesn't at all. Because for one, it's not just black and white people in the storytelling, which thank you very much. I think that's important and great. Um, but also like the difference of the nurse's character versus like Joe, Joe Cornish uh, back in the day character. Like, <laughs> like, but they're, they're both humanized. And like the nurse has that moment where she's first robbed and she goes in and this older white woman who also lives there kind of brings her in. And the white, the older woman says monsters. And then the nurse repeats monsters. And it's important because, right, like you actually see that the nurse character thinks on a much more um, layered level than that. But even in that moment, the structures that led to her being hurt have means that she's not allowed to teach. She, she's dehumanized them too for a real reason, but also... Also, she's she's made these judgment calls as well. Um, and also, like, we're, we feel for her because she's been through this traumatic experience um, and we don't want that to happen to anyone else. And then later, there's this great scene where, like, the young kid keeps, like, asking if she has a boyfriend. She's like, yeah. And, and they're like, where? And she's like, Ghana. And they're like, oh, you're dating an African man. And she's like, no, he went to Ghana to help the children. And he's like, you you can't help children here. <laughs> you know, like, you're sitting with a group of children who you called monsters. You know what I mean? Like, you can't help us. That's a really beautiful line. It's very it's very like self aware of the way white people operate, especially in relationship to like the way that we ignore, I guess, the lives of kids, poor kids. And yeah, and like he also, you're right. He shows that the like trials and tribulations of the poor kids is not relegated to race specifically like the poor kids suffer kind of equally in their rate not equally but like they have they all are suffering or yeah. at least have that's what's great. that is yeah. great not equally they're not like equating it on a false level but like also i think that's true like inner city can be very uh segregated but it also can be like not about race at all it's really about like who's surviving together like literally who's on your block yeah like who, who will come who will come to be in your corner and who won't and I love their pride, their pride for like their, the block initially just seems like something related to their gang, but it translates directly to them truly actually protecting people. Yeah. And like yeah. Moses makes this really brave decision in the movie. Um, but speaking of the block, you're listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WRIR. I'm Cameron Kitt talking to Kanisha Foster about the movie Attack the Block, directed by Joe Cornish from 2011. We have just a few minutes left. I do want to talk about these creatures. Yes. Uh, something that comes up a lot in this show is like the interplay between CGI and real effects. And the answer mm -hmm. is always not to do CGI, right? Like the answer is always if you can do real effects, it lasts so much longer. So a couple of things I think he did really well. One, almost everything is a real suit and the light, the teeth are real. And like there's there are a hundred CGI shots in the film but that's pretty low yeah. considering that like these monsters are on screen a lot yeah. so like the actors were like responding to them and that's yeah. something that Joe Cornish said it was really important like they're not responding to a tennis ball on a stick yeah just like talk about the creatures what did you think I love the creatures it's such good yeah. storytelling 
I mean, I, I like loved puppets when I was a kid. Like uh, I loved when I was a senior in high school, I had to do a project, like a senior project. And I did it on Lyle Conway, who was nominated for an Oscar for Little Shop of Horrors, Building the Plant. Uh, worked with Jim Henson, built Skeksis for um, Dark Crystal. And uh, he, I interviewed him for it and he was very generous to me. He probably didn't like, now if he heard this, he'd be like, oh, that's a high school kid. <laughs> but like, um, but he, I asked him that question then, which was like a long time ago. And uh, I was like, well, what do you think? CGI is coming and puppets are so great. And, and he said then like, you know, we don't pit them against each other. How do they serve each other? Uh, and and yeah. I personally prefer texture. I think we really haven't gotten to texture in CGI the way that fulfills like seeing something like what they did in, in attack the block where you, you can, you can, uh, your body can almost feel it even though it's on screen. But I think that what they do really, really brilliantly in this is simplicity. Like they give you a couple of elements so that your imagination can fill in the, the rest. And it's really a lot on sound too. It's not just the puppet, the puppets themselves, but it's how they pair sound with the puppets to make them more realistic. And then of course, the secret sauce is like the reactions of everybody around it. <laughs> like, because that's what like sells it the most is like, do people look terrified? And the shots are so good. I mean, I today when I was rewatching it, I was like, look at these shots. They're kind of delicious. Like the pans and like the, like when, when the aliens go in and then come back out, the reactions to it. I mean, they're just, they're really, really good. Good story. And it's scary and fun. Like there's one jump scare that like got me. Right, I'm like ah, but like the act- in an interview with one of the actors, one of the boys in the in the group, he's like, "There's a scene where I'm running where I really thought I was gonna get bit, like, and I'm really, and I think like as a director, that's a great way to ensure a good performance, right? Especially when you, yeah. back, you don't have that many shooting days." And they said they did it to save money. Something else I think he did that's really brilliant is they talk about the blackest black. It made me think of that like ultra yeah. black, so, like the fact that they like suck light is a really smart decision because it cuts out the need for them to be like perfectly textured and it cuts out the yeah. need for them. To, you can, you don't see seams and all the stuff that you might see if they're like looking at puppets and looking at like something that a human is inside, you know, like you kind of, I thought about it maybe once, but for most of the movie, I'm just like, dang, that's scary. Like, I'm not like questioning yeah. it. Right. I'm not doing math as you said. Yeah. How did they do that? I was, I was, watching I, this today. I was like, how did they make, and they like have the kids run their fingers through it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, looking at it with such awe. And then like, honestly, let's talk about these glowing teeth. The glowing <laughs> teeth could be so cheesy. It could yeah. be, that could have been the death of the movie. And because everything else around it works so well, that becomes really exciting. Like that really works for me. And and the way they use it, uh, also like spatial relationship, like the way they'll they'll use it in distance and kind of, bring you up to where you get that close up and at one point like one of them dies like the light goes out of the teeth and I was like what it's just creative we see, we've, I've seen glowing eyes a thousand times I've never seen glowing teeth and like you've never seen like knowing that the creature is there by their glowing teeth so like yes. you keep like just fascinating and different yeah like it, yeah. I think this is like it, we don't like auteur but like when it's a person's creative idea and it didn't get yeah. completely eaten by a studio, yeah. right? The, yeah, like, a studio yeah. might have said something like, "No, we need to see the we need to see the t- texture." Like, and he's like, "No, yeah. it actually makes it better." 
if we don't see everything like then they yeah. blend into the darkness that's even scarier yeah. like, yes when the fire starter does not <laughs> go back on there yeah. <laughs> well, the is not, is not is not questioned by the studio at every turn now i'm sure there's stuff that whatever studios i think he worked with film four and studio canal and whatever the british studios you know every everybody has to make concessions but like it really feels like this is his movie and his idea and like it feels like yeah. it's creative and then some of the fun creative yeah. stuff that makes it different is still in there again i good. wonder i'm gonna go back and do my own research on this i think everybody should but like um, when I was chatting about um, how he started making all these like sketches with puppets, I was like, "Oh, he's had a, a career to think about this." Like, yeah, I think also we forget about the things that are that we are expert in. You know, like mm. we think we have to break some boundary and make something completely new and reinvent the wheel. But like, we've all been doing something. I mean, like, not to big up uh, Steve Jobs, but <laughs> somebody was telling me that he like when he dropped out of college he kept taking classes and he took calligraphy classes just because and then that's when he started working with font hmm. and I was like, yeah I mean like there are these things that we do because we are passionate about them like we really love them and we think they're silly or like they don't matter or whatever but then it's like if you keep coming back to something and you've been actually able to create a language around it that other people haven't because it's your obsession or your interest or your thrill ride then like maybe start there you know like why why can't i stop thinking about puppets <laughs> maybe i'll make a badass sci-fi movie yeah and just so you know like yeah like just so you know like puppets in this case are like scary like pu did you yeah. know puppets can be terrifying and awesome like i think people might have the wrong idea if they aren't used to hearing the word puppets like if they don't yes. theater like i have a friend who's like fully making a living doing puppet theater and when you say hear that, people think the wrong thing. It's like, no, you go to the show and there's 30 foot tall puppets like moving like huge things like that are like yeah. unbelievable to experience. So, Kanisha, as we're coming to the end here, I just want to ask, you know, you're a lover of sci-fi. Yeah. What can we learn from this movie about how to make a low budget sci-fi film? Like what what are what can we take away? I think assemble the team. When I worked in video games, that was like the core thing I learned. Um, I wrote for the guys who created um, Halo and Destiny, like they split off of Bungie and started their new company. Um, and like the, the core thing they taught me there that I took back to TV and film was like, they work from archetypes and then from those archetypes where, which people recognize, they try to make something specific and new. Um, that's at least that's what they recommended I do. And then I started thinking about that in all of my work, like how do you assemble a team that's interesting together and fun? And like each of those boys has their own really core story. And I don't know how Joe Cornish sat down to make them each individuals. Like we said at the beginning, like he hits it, like he, and like, again, two to three that like lines of dialogue for each of them. He tells you exactly who they are and where they're from and what you need to know about them. Um, and I think that, that like, how do you actually in the action slide in? Here's why we love these people here's why they need to be together to get this done. And then you like, you, you have, you have our hearts and souls, so you can pretty much do anything. Well, that's beautifully said. Um, <laughs> with that, uh, Kanisha, where can we find your work? Would you, would you recommend we go follow you on your website, on Instagram? Yeah. Or can we find out more about you? Yeah. Check out my website, www.kanishafoster.com. 
Con, com, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> www.kanishafoster.com. Uh, so I was thinking of my name. It's Con, K-H-A-N-I-S-H-A. Uh, and then you can also see me on uh, Instagram, which is Joy Rebel Solo. And I'm around. I'm on Twitter, but I only I only link to my Instagram, so not that exciting. You know what? <laughs> I, it's hard to do everything. I've been trying to get I've been trying to get myself to go do Twitter, but uh, eh. We expect a lot from ourselves, but this has been we so amazing. And definitely go go follow what Kanisha does because she does a lot of stuff and it's all, it's all very cool. And definitely go watch this movie. If we haven't enticed you to watch this movie, I, I really hope you'll you'll go go watch it. It was super delightful. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Kanisha, for coming on. And you've been listening to They Came From Outer Space on WRIR. Yay. You're the best. Firestarter. See you on the other Firestarter. side. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be better off calling the Ghostbusters, love.